Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I want to invite you to turn to the sixth chapter of Joshua. Sixth chapter of Joshua. We are in our sermon series uh, that we're calling Finding Courage in a Time of Crisis, and it's my job to preach from Joshua, and it's Sam's job to preach from Judges. So today we are in Joshua. The next two weeks, he will be taking you through selections from Judges. But would you listen now with open ears as I read these words from the book that we love. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city and all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every one straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward blowing trumpets with the Ark of the Covenant and the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the Ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. 
But all the silver and gold, every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord, and they shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys, with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belong to her as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time, saying, Cursed before the Lord, be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. And Lord, I recognize that as we come in here, or we do uh, come from all kinds of different places. Lord, some of us are here uh, and our hearts are full. Uh, we are uh, eager and expectant for what you're doing in our lives, for uh, the circumstances we find ourselves in. For others of us, uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Some of us are here and our lives uh, feel like a train wreck. Things are not well. Some of us are dealing with profound worry, uh, profound need. Uh, others of us are here and we believe in you. But, but some of us are here and we're not sure if you're real. We're not sure if we, any of these words are true. These are strange words. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here um, enjoying your good gifts or at the end of ourselves, whether we come here uh, believing in you or dealing with all kinds of doubts and objections and skepticism about you, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Give us grace to see how you have addressed this need and the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Uh, we find ourselves, so here at Ironworks, we value the scriptures of the Old and New Testament, and that means uh, that there is no rest for the weary. Your humble pastor is here to serve you by taking on these tough passages, like the one I just read. And uh, I, I found myself asking this question, God, what are you saying to our church in this very strange uh, story? What are, you, what, are, what, are, what are you saying to, to these folks, right? These folks, the needs that they have, the things that you, that you are thinking about right now, right? The things that are most important, most pressing in your life. We have our work cut out for us today, right? 
I need to earn this salary you pay me today by trying to answer this question, what is God, almighty God, invisible God, what is he saying to you in this passage? How does this address your situation? Well, of course, the obvious answer is Jericho was in lockdown. You're in lockdown, right? (laughs) Okay, maybe not. But, um, oh, I know, Jericho built a wall to protect itself. We are going, never mind. This is totally pointless. Okay, so what, <laughs> what is the connection between this passage and the things that you're, some of you are thinking about things right now. There are, there are concerns in your mind. I can see them behind your masks. For those of you who are naked faces, I can see them on your faces, okay? What, how does this passage address these things that you're thinking about right now? That's the question, okay? Well, I'm going to do my very best to uh, try and answer that for you under these three headings, right? There's three sections that I want to break this passage out into that I've, I think are applicable and helpful uh, to your life as a person, right? And that's number one, justice, number two, power, and number three, salvation, okay? Justice power, and salvation. So the first is justice. To understand what's going on in this passage, right? This passage sounds horrific, doesn't it? I mean, some of you might have memories. If you grew up in Christian faith, right, you might have memories as a child marching around the room and shouting and blowing the trumpets and all that stuff, right? I have those memories. But if you you did not grow up in Christian faith and hear these stories, when you hear this passage read, it sounds horrific, doesn't it? right? No one was spared in this city except for Rahab and her family. How are we to understand that? What is going on? What is God's message to you? What is his message to our community? What, what are we to take from this, right? Well, I think the answer is found in actually Genesis chapter 15, verse 16. If you want to understand what's going on, I'm going to, I'm going to give you two references, right? But the first is Genesis 15, 16. And this is what's happening. God is talking uh, in this passage, and he says these words. He says, they shall come back here in the fourth generation, referring to Israel, right? He's prophesying their return uh, to this land where Jericho is located. And then he says this, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete, okay? I want you to hear that. They will come back in the fourth generation because the iniquity of the Amorites, talking about the people that are inhabiting this land, listen to these words, is not yet complete. Do you hear what God is saying? He's saying, I will bring justice to this land. I will deal with the wrongs done, right, at a certain time. Now, what are those wrongs done? Well, let me read to you now a second reference from Deuteronomy chapter 18, this is what uh, says here. It says, when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominable practices of these nations. So what were they doing? There shall not be found among you anyone, listen to these words, who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, 
the Lord your God is driving them out before you. So what's the message of this passage from the very first time, right? God is righting wrongs in his time, right? The iniquity of the Amorites, God allowed that to go on, right? He, but he fixed a day and a time, namely the events of this passage, where he said, I will execute my justice, right? I will take care of these wrongs. And to understand, right, we, when, we, when you read this story, you think, you know, if you're like me, at least, your heart kind of goes out to these people and you say, look, they had no chance. They were completely surrounded, right? The, this, this approaching army had supernatural power, you know, and you might be tempted to feel for them, but you have to understand that they had been piling up injustice for a really long time, right? They had been burning their children, for example, one, one reference that's mentioned, um, and you can imagine others as well. Right, so God is saying here, I will take care of justice. You can be absolutely sure. And I just want to speak to, to those of you, right, who have who have are bearing the weight of a wrong done against you. Right? And any weight, by the way. Some of you, for example, let me just use a kind of a, a lighter one. Right? Some of you have have had a wrong deal in business, for example, right? Some of you have been wronged financially. I want to tell you that God will right that wrong. Others of you have been wronged in far more personal ways, right? Ways that, 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 are, that are sending you to counseling, for example, right? And I want to tell you, as your pastor, you can be absolutely sure that God cares about every second of every wrong act done against you, and he will write it. He will write it. Uh, it's interesting, in Acts chapter 17, Paul picks up on this concept and he says, look, God has fixed a day when he will judge the world through one man. Right? Do you hear that? It's what he's saying in, in Genesis 15. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I picked out a day when I will execute justice. And friends, we're learning right now in our culture that there is far more, there are far more hurts and wounds of injustice than we appreciated. So some of you may have read the news. I did, and it absolutely broke my heart, took me back. There was a 14-year-old girl rescued out of sexual slavery in Malvern last week. She had been a slave forcibly for, I think it was, four months in Malvern, like as in, you know, up 29, right in our backyard. If you saw in the news, she was rescued out of actual slavery just four months ago, right? Every day, right? Or, or most days uh, being sold in, in the most horrific way possible. And, and the message of this passage, right, is that God cares about every second, right? And I wonder, what is it for you, right? As pastor, I know that every one of you deals with things in your life where justice is not as it should be, right? Some more than others, but every one of you deals with it. The message of this passage is that we have a God who is aware, who cares, and who most certainly will act, okay? Uh, we've been uh, drawn attention to uh, issues of justice concerning racial uh, reconciliation. I was talking to a friend uh, this past week, and, you know, I was asking him about you know, his experience, his person of color, and he said to me, he said, you know, 
Darren, he said, one of the things that's so hard, he has uh, older kids, you know, teen, older teenage boys, he said, one of the things so hard is that my family has to have the talk with the kids, right? He has the, the talk. Like, you know, families, like we all, if you have, you know, kids, you're thinking, what talk are you talking about, right? Some of you have had other talks with kids. At least we have to have the talk with kids. What is the talk? He said, I have to sit my boys down and say, look, you know, you have to understand that when you have encounters with the police, most of them will be good, right? But some could be extremely dangerous because of the color of your skin. And you have to be wise about that. And you have to understand how you are viewed. And and it it broke my heart to hear him share this, right? As he was explaining the, the talk, right? And, you know, these, uh, some of these realities that, that some of us have not been aware of, right, these are becoming more and more conversant in our, in our day and time. And, you know, I prayed. I prayed for, for his boys to be able to raise children where that talk wouldn't be necessary, right? Maybe you could join me in praying that. And, uh, but as we think about justice, as we think about how can we be helpful in working uh, to right wrongs, that's a big part of what I think God is doing right now in our community, right? It's something that I want to be about, I want to be helpful in. But as we think about this, the message of this passage is that God will right every wrong. He will execute his justice. And I'll tell you, right, I've talked to those of you who are, you know, who feel like you have been wronged, but I want to talk to others of you who actually have wronged another person, right? Like if you've wronged another person and you think, look, no one's gonna find out, you know, I'm just gonna keep going, keep doing my thing. I just wanna tell you, like, you, you will be found out. It will happen, right? God will uh, shout it from the rooftops and therefore it's time to repent. This message for you is a message of urgent repentance. Right? Because God cares very deeply about justice. Secondly, power. Okay. God, uh, the second message of this passage is one of power. And, you know, Israel, as we read on in uh, this book of Joshua, Israel will have several military encounters as they go about this business of kind of taking the promised land. And in some of those cases, right, they will use very conventional means. Right? Very conventional military means of their day. In other cases, they will use unconventional means, such as the narrative that we have before us. Right? God said, look, don't go in and just you know, breach the wall, but use the method of shouting. Right? Unconventional. What's going on in that? Well, friends, um, this for me actually has been very personal. I'll just tell you very personally that uh, I've been pastoring now for 11 years. Um, a little bit, almost 11 years, I think exactly, and in May was my anniversary of that. And I'll tell you that this has been by far the most difficult season of my pastoral career for all kinds of reasons, right? We find ourselves in time where, where there is leadership necessary uh, such that I've never had to give in the amount and the quantity that, that's going on right now. Right, as we are navigating all kinds of issues related to COVID, we have people who are spiritually depressed and isolated. We have uh, this, the, the issues surrounding racial reconciliation that require a profound amount of, uh, uh, of wisdom, right? And folks are really hurting. Folks have all kinds of emotions. And, and by the way, like we haven't even really felt, I think, the full economic impact of COVID, 
which I think is coming and is going to require a great deal more uh, pastoral support. And I found myself, to be frank, quite discouraged this morning, right? I was thinking about preaching this. And to be honest with you, I said, I don't even want to preach today, right? I thought, you know, what, it, what's even the point? And uh, the Lord met with me in that moment. And he said, you know, Darren, you are approaching this problem in your own strength and not with my power. And as the Lord met with me in that moment, right, the lights went off and I said, you know what, that's exactly what's going on. And friends, I just want to say the same thing to you, right? What is it that you're facing, right? What are the, what are the challenges that lay before you right now in your life, right? The message of this, the message of this passage is that God's power is everything. It's everything. It's not about their training, right? It's not about their weapons. It's not about how many of them are there, right? They're, they're circling this city that prized itself on defense, right? What, what place actually builds walls like this, right? Answer, cities that prize themselves on military defense, so they're going up against a people that, that should have been able to withstand them with unconventional means, and the message from God to Israel couldn't be more clear to them, and it cannot be more clear to you and I, which is that our success in life, in spiritual matters, is a product of God's power. Right? And I just want to just plead with you, whatever it is that you're facing right now, I want to plead with you to have a moment, like I described earlier, for you in your own life for this reality to become real, right? We, we've been talking about uh, Joshua's theme of being strong and courageous, and that courage flows from the conviction that it is God's power that's decisive, not your abilities, not your circumstances, one of the effects of the coronavirus, I think, is the most profound humbling of the world, right? So many things that folks have taken for granted, so many uh, abilities to do things that folks have taken for granted have all just come crashing down, and there's a profound humbling along with all kinds of other things going on. And friends, that's the time to get reacquainted with the God of the Scriptures, with the God of power. Right? His power would take center stage, and can it take center stage for you? Right? What would it look like for you? Well, I would humbly suggest that the first thing it would look like is to rediscover prayer. Right? To rediscover prayer. To, to rediscover having a moment with God where you lay before him the things that you're trying to solve, and you ask him to intervene. Have you done that recently? Or have you been functioning as what I might call a functional agnostic, right? Someone says, I don't really know if God's real. Maybe he's real. You can't know. These things are too hard, right? Some of you are agnostics, right? You might, you're here and you say, I'm exploring Christian faith. Some are watching online. I've even heard from folks watching online. And, you know, some of you out there in the cloud, right, uh, that's where you are. And I'm so honored that you're choosing to explore the claims of Christian faith with us. But if you are convinced that God is real, if you are convinced that his power is accessible and you're going through life, you're facing what it is that you're facing without 
going before him, laying your burdens down in prayer, you are, like I have been, and to be honest, in, in recent seasons, a functional agnostic, right? That's, that's what you are. I don't know if God is real. I mean, you can't know. It's, it's, it's too difficult, and you know, we don't have enough information, right? But if you're a Christian, if you confess that God is real, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, that he's coming again to judge the world, that the scriptures are true, then it's a call to become reacquainted with his power. So that's the second point. What about the third point? Well, the third point, and, and this one might be easy to miss, is that uh, this passage ultimately is actually about God's salvation and his mercy, right? Where do we see that? Well, of course we see it in uh, the salvation of this woman Rahab and her family. And it, if it's not, it should be really obvious, right, uh, given her chosen profession that she was not saved uh, because of her moral goodness, right? She was saved, uh, the New Testament will explain, because of her faith, right? She took God at his word. And that's another, I think, helpful kind of clarifying point. We read earlier in Joshua where she tells uh, these spies that come out to spy out the land, she said, look, everyone, everyone's hearts melted when they heard of what your God did in Egypt, right? So I want you to, you know, understand that what's going on here is that you have an entire city of people that all heard of what God did. They believed that. They were aware of it, believed. There was no, like, not really thrown into question. And they didn't turn to him in faith except for this one woman, right? Except for her, no one else turned in faith. They continued to offer their children to their gods. They continued to practice abominable things. Right? But she becomes, I think you can tell from the, from the trajectory of Scripture in the Old and New Testament, she becomes a person of great influence in this community. And by the way, can we just celebrate that again? Right? Here's a woman who's a prostitute, right? profession of profound shame, by the way, in her day. And she becomes a person of significant influence in the house of God. Can we just celebrate that? Right? That I don't, you know, some of you come here and you, you bring a long list of sins and failings and, you, and you're sitting here thinking, look, if people knew some things, I would be so ashamed. I would live in shame all the time. And the message of this scripture is that God takes people whose shame, whose shame is their life, shame is their experience, and he brings them not just in, right, not just like tolerated, but he gives them places of significant influence even in his family, right? If you're considering Christian faith, if you're uh, considering the claims of Christianity and you're thinking, will there be a place for me? Because man, look at my past. The overwhelming resounding message of this passage is absolutely, absolutely. Rahab uh, ultimately becomes kind of like a great, 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 great grandmother to our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? She becomes even in the line of the Messiah. And friends, I think it's also helpful to point out that there's a conversation that happens in the book of Genesis between God and Abraham over a different city, right? over the city of Sodom. Some of you know that story. And in this conversation, Abraham is pleading with God and he's saying, God, you know, if there's 40 people who are righteous in this city, will you still have to destroy it? And God says, no, I won't. And he kind of like brings the number all the way down, right? Single digits. And God says, no, I will spare the entire city, right? 
if just, if just there is a small number of people who are faithful. And friends, I think it's helpful because we come to this passage here, and similarly, right, Rahab is saved, and she is a message that there is a way in, that God's mercy is open to you, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, that if you turn from your sins, if you lay them at the cross of Jesus Christ, that you can not just simply be tolerated in his family, but you can be welcomed in the most profound way. Right? That is the message of this passage. But that goes a little bit further than that. Uh, you might notice this language. Uh, it's actually the title of the sermon called Devoted to Destruction. And what's basically going on there is that uh, God is saying, look, the city needs to be devoted to destruction, right? And for example, no pillaging, right? Don't come in and, you know, like take, take someone's Xbox and, you know, make it your own, right? None of that. Everything must be devoted to destruction or it goes into the treasury of the temple of the Lord, right? And uh, it's this language that uh, effectively there would be other times where they were allowed to take possessions, Right? There would be other times where they were allowed, but not this time. This time would be devoted to destruction. Everything had to be destroyed unless it was going into the treasury. What's going on there? Well, I think that what's going on there is that it was kind of an offering to the Lord, right? It's like, kind of like the tithe. You know, when, you, when God gives you money, you take the very, you know, the, the scriptural teaching is that you take the very first bit of what he gives you and you offer that to the Lord, Right? And by the way, if you're not tithing, let me just tell you pastorally, like, it's a very profound thing. Right? What I do is when I get paid, right, or I'm a client from the church, whatever, the very first thing I do before I pay any bills is I offer that to the Lord as an act of worship. Right? It's the, the biblical practice. And similarly, I think it's kind of what was going on here that God said, look, I want you to learn to offer things to me. And this, will, this idea will come up in the New Testament, by the way, and, and this, this comes to, I think, the reason why, if you're here and you're kind of like skeptical, you're like, this is a lot of destruction, this is a lot of war, like we don't need this kind of stuff in our, in our day and age, we need other things. You know, what's going on with this? Why is this even here? What, I, I'm not sure I'm convinced of your arguments, you know, it still seems unfair, et cetera. Can I even trust this? Can I trust your God? Can I trust this message? Well, friends, I think the final reason, uh, as we're going to be looking towards the table, what's going on is this. You see this language of being devoted to destruction? Uh, ultimately, this language would describe not primarily what's going on in Jericho, but it would describe what our Lord Jesus Christ himself did. You see, ultimately, God's son himself would be devoted to destruction so that sinners just like us could be, come to his table, not simply tolerated, but celebrated. Right? Ultimately, the Lord Jesus Christ takes upon all of your sin, all of your shame. He takes every wrong thing that you've done. And he himself is devoted to destruction so that you would never have to face that. Right? And it's why we can be bold in our repentance. Right? It's why as we identify areas where we are just going astray and getting it wrong, it's why we can be bold in coming back to him. Because we come back not to a judge, but if you're in Christ, you come back to someone who says, look, I have judged you, but I've done the sentence for you. I've, done, I, I've taken the penalty upon myself. And so we're going to come to this table, and the only message at this table for you is grace, is mercy. So 
my exhortation to us this morning is this is a strange passage. Thank you for bearing with me. Uh, but I do hope that uh, you become reacquainted with justice, power, and salvation through Christ our Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we do come to you and we do praise you. We do adore you and we ask that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. That you would give us eyes to see uh, how you uh, are working for justice in our world. How you are offering uh, power to your people. And how you are working in salvation. Would you give us grace uh, to be instruments of your kingdom in this community, in this time and place. Amen.